a bad person. Nobody thinks you're a bad person because you make a mistake and we have to keep learning. You're listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse Welcome fields. Welcome to Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders to Podcast. My name CEOs is Kayla Engel and I'll be your host today. Feature people today we welcome Dean Elizabeth Halpin as our guest. Ms. Halpin is the Acting Director for the Bucino Leadership Institute and an Associate Dean of the Institute's Diplomacy Cohort. She's also a member of the senior leadership team and is involved on the school's board of advisors as a chief officer leading design, implementation, and strategic assessment activities and external affairs in administration, strategy, and leadership. Dean Halpin also serves as the primary administrative officer of the school, managing budgets, personnel, onboarding, supervising student staff, equipment, and office environment. She also serves on university-wide committees such as commencement, charter day, leadership development, related committees and boards, the advisory, President's Advisory Group, Praxis, the Office of International Programs, and more. Welcome, Dean Halpin, to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Just to start off, so why did you decide to become involved in the Institute? When they decided to make the Institute university-wide, it was sort of a natural fit for me. I'd been working with Michael Reuter, who was in charge of the Eusino Leadership Center at the School of Business, on ways that we could bring leadership development programs to the School of Diplomacy. We'd been working together for a number of years to try to figure out what could we do to build on the great work that they were doing at the School of Business. So he and I had worked on a number of collaborative programs together, and we both helped each other to start a women's initiative in each of our colleges. So his at the School of Business and mine in the School of Diplomacy, which is now the Women of Diplomacy Leadership Program. So when they said they were ready to start to bring this award-winning program at Stillman university-wide and make it available to more students, School of Diplomacy was the first college on board, and, and you know, I raised my hand right away. I was excited to be doing more programs like that. Yeah, that's amazing. On, like, addressing you as a Diplo Dean, how has the change been from assistant director of the Diplomacy Cohort to acting director? I'm really grateful for the opportunity to get to work with more students. I think in my work in the School of Diplomacy, my favorite parts are always the times when I can interact with students and, and be part of their learning journey and learn from them. Yeah. So the more I get to interact with students on campus and really you know, work with some of our brightest leaders, it's been really fun and exciting to work with more students and see all the great work that they're doing and, and be able to support them. And I know that now you're considered acting director. Do you know anything about the search of finding someone to take a more permanent role in this position? I do. So I'm also, as acting director, I'm part of a committee that is working on a strategic plan for the future of the institute and also is working on the selection of the new permanent executive director. The committee has put together the job description and that's now being posted. So hopefully we'll start getting resumes and applicants in for that position in the next few weeks. And our goal is to be able to hire someone for January so that the new year starts with a new executive director. And I know previously you just mentioned like communicating with Michael Reuter and being able to rely on him to expand the business initiatives. So an important aspect of being a leader is being able to learn from and listen to others. So besides like Michael Reuter, are there any other individuals that have helped you transition to this role or have had a significant impact on inspiring the leader you are today? 
oh my goodness, so many, too many <laughs> to count. But specifically into this role, I've had such a great number of people supporting me on campus, everyone from Dean Smith at the School of Diplomacy to Dean Strasser at the School of Business to Chin Kansal, who's one of our associate directors in the Institute, and all the associate directors in the Institute have been really, really helpful in guiding me through this process. But I'd like to say also that my students have been really, really helpful in guiding me and, and helping me learn through the process and making me the leader that I am today. Shout out to the students. Let's go. What is the biggest obstacle you have faced since coming to this role and how are you able to overcome it? I think the biggest obstacle I've faced so far is there are just not enough hours in the day. <laughs> yeah, I feel uh, yeah. <laughs> and trying to get everything done has been, you know, a challenge. And so it's been really important to have great support and to be able to reach out. And I think that's a great leadership lesson is to know, you know, to learn that you don't have to do everything yourself all the time. I see that a lot with student organizations on campus where the leader of the student organization, the president of that group, you know, tends to to do all of the work of the group and has trouble learning how to delegate those tasks. And so that's been, you know, something I've been working on myself is mm -hmm. trying to make sure that I reach out for support when I need it and asking for help is getting the work done. It's not a weakness to ask for help. It actually makes the product better. So reaching out to all of the associate directors, to my students, to, you know, to Stisha Taylor, who is just an amazing help and has been a really great mentor for me in this position also definitely like me as myself as like a student leader and I know I speak to a ton of people saying no is like the hardest thing to do so really prioritizing that is super awesome to set that precedent as well and besides you know being the new acting director the institute everything you do for the school you're also a mom which is a super demanding and stressful role so what tips do you have for balancing like this increase in responsibility and demanding work life while maintaining like a strong personal life outside of this and really being there for like yourself and your family I would definitely say I'm not excelling at any of these all the time, Yeah. but these are the things that I strive for. I think it's important to remember to lead by example, right? So when we, as working mothers, when we, when we feel guilty about not being present all the time, I think it's, it's important for us to remember that, you know, it's really important for our kids to see us doing hard work and to, to always be trying to make an impact and to, you know, to do something that has meaning and purpose. So I try to remember that and forgive myself for those times that I can't be available. I try to remember to be present in the moment. So whether I'm at work doing work or I'm at home with my family, I try to remember as much as possible to be present in that moment, present for them. So that wherever I am, there I am, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to be scrolling through your phone and checking emails when you're at home or to be worrying about what's happening at the kids' school when you're at work and supposed to be in a meeting. So to try to be present in the moment is really important, I think, to, to strike that balance and to, to be your best leader in each of those circumstances. I also think take care of yourself, right? So when you feel like you have your responsibilities at work and your responsibilities for your family and your volunteer work, I do a lot of volunteer work in my town, and you have your friends and your immediate family, but then also your, your extended family and yeah. taking care of your elders and your cousins and all of, those, <laughs> yeah. all of those important relationships in your life. I think it's really important to remember also that you can't be your best for them unless you're your best for yourself first. 
right? So it's easy to like forget yourself, to forget to eat, to not sleep enough, to not remember to make those doctor's appointments or take the time to binge watch your show or read the book that you really has been sitting on the shelf or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's really important, I think, to take those moments for yourself because if you are miserable or you're not taking care of yourself, you can't be your best self for others. You can't lead well. You can't have a good work product or be there for your family and be the best that you can be in those situations unless unless you're really taking the time to, to take care for yourself. I know definitely like as like a student like we're always prioritizing grades clubs being involved getting like that certain advantage that you kind of forget oh my god I've been in the library for six hours I got to go to the calf do you know what I mean like stuff like that so that's a really powerful point you definitely bring up and I know you mentioned that you do volunteer work outside of like your main roles and I know you're also involved in the diversity equity and inclusion alliance and other things on campus so do you want to talk a minute about those and how you're going to continue to be involved in those initiatives? One of the things that I do in the School of Diplomacy is I'm the liaison for our Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Justice Coalition, and also the liaison for the Institute on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion initiatives at the Leadership Institute level. As part of that, I'm on the Universities Committee for DEI, and I am part of a number of partnership organizations that are working on DEI in the workplace and DEI pipelines at universities, you know, to build a more diverse workforce and all of those kind of things. So I find that to be really, really important, you know, coming from the perspective of someone who's always been really interested in women's issues and the unique challenges that we face in leadership roles and things like that, you know, sort of a a natural progression for me to work on DEI issues in a greater capacity and and work with other underrepresented populations at the leadership level on how we can bring more people into the fold and how we can, you know, lift each other up and change the systems so that we can make a more equitable, you know, opportunity level for everyone. So that's been really important in my work. I work with the Women of Diplomacy Leadership Program and the Girl Up chapter at the School of Diplomacy, which are all about women's empowerment and and those, those kind of issues. I'm on an economic development committee in my town that's working on building the best town that we can. And I'm also on a, an inclusive playgrounds committee in my town. So we're trying to build the first a certified inclusive playground in Hunterdon County, New Jersey, so that kids who have mobility issues can play in the same park that kids who are able-bodied can, can play in, but also kids who are on the spectrum and have maybe a stimulation sensitivities or sound sensitivities and things like that can, can all play together so that all of our kids can have the same opportunities to play and, and interact socially. So that's another thing that I'm really excited about right now. Yeah, that's so amazing. I didn't, that's like such a good idea too. I feel like that's so like underrepresented in parks, especially kids too, getting the chance to like build that through like a young age, like instill that inclusivity is really amazing. And how do you like as a leader in the classroom really emphasize diversity, equity, and inclusion to your students? It's become really important at Seton Hall on all levels, which is really exciting because I don't think that's always been the case. But I think there's been, you know, a sort of a societal awakening after the murder of George Floyd that allows us now to be in a different place than we were. It's not like as much of an uphill climb as it once was to share in these issues and to try to have those difficult conversations. So I'm really proud of Seton Hall for really stepping up on that. And so as an institute, we really want to 
you know, to be on the cutting edge of that, right? Like we want to be leader of all of what the university is doing and, and to, to lead by example in that way. If we're gonna, you know, if we're gonna be building the leaders of tomorrow, if we're gonna be, you know, making those leaders who they are in a leadership role in the workforce. We want to be emphasizing that diverse teams are better teams, that, you know, that having a diversity of perspective on your team gets a better product. We want to be the change makers, right? We want to be the people who are changing the systems that hold us down. And so we want in the classroom to be sharing how those systems are impacting our lives and our our leadership roles and how we can be on the forefront of that change in everything that we do. So I try to think about it in the lessons that we're learning and weave it in because it's not a one and done, right? Like you don't have like this one anti-racist training and then you're like, okay, we did racism, we're good. Yeah. You know, it has to be something that is built into everything that we do, that we're constantly thinking about how we can do better because it's a lifelong journey, right? It's not something that we're going to fix. I mean, it's so ingrained in everything that we are as humans, unfortunately, that we we really need to keep building and, and working toward a better future. And so teaching our students how to take feedback, how to understand that you're not a bad person because you've been raised a certain way or that you you've never been in a situation like this before and you're you know you don't maybe handle it the best way the first time or that the language that you learned isn't the language that maybe you should be using right like that all, all of these things are not your fault and you can learn from them and you can move on right so intent i think is really important because i think everyone gets defensive about their intent. Well, my intention was good, but it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if your intention is good, if you're wrong. And so, (laughs) so it's important to know that nobody's calling you a bad person. Nobody thinks you're a bad person because you make a mistake and we have to keep learning. And so that's kind of the, the ethos I think of the Institute is we keep learning every day. We make mistakes and that's okay. And we keep learning and, and becoming better every day. And, and that should be something that you do from day one to the last day of your life, right? Like you should always be learning. You're never going to get there and be completely satisfied. You should always be taking opportunities to continue to learn and grow. And so those are the kinds of things that we emphasize in the Institute that I think will help us to become the kind of leaders that will make DEI a priority and will make a difference in the future of the workforce. Addressing it as something that's ongoing and not like, as you said, like a one and done is such a powerful point that I feel like is really forgotten nowadays because everyone's like, oh, here's one workshop, we're done. But it's really like a continuous issue to be re-emphasized. So amazing points. And going off of like your future and what you think the Institute should work on to get that better advantages and grow leaders to be beneficial in the workforce. What is your vision for the future of the Institute besides like emphasizing diversity, equity, inclusion? And what, if any changes, are you putting in place today to achieve it? So some of the things that I think the sort of next steps for the Institute are we've built this really wonderful undergraduate program and you know we've gone through four years so we have an established program that was just awarded the sort of best in country most outstanding program award from the most prestigious 
Leadership Educators Association in the country. So we know we've got a good product, right? So what do we do now? So where we need to go is to develop some niche areas, right? Because we have this broad leadership 101 kind of program. And I think for us to build on the university strengths, right? We talked about DEI as one of the university's new strengths. We talked about how I'm involved in women's leadership issues. And we have this great gender studies program on campus that does this wonderful women's conference every year that people from throughout the region come to to learn about what are the trends in women's issues, what are we fa- what are the challenges we're facing, and how can we combat those challenges to become better women leaders. So I think those are two areas where we could easily build a niche in the institute that would give us a reputation both internally and externally as like, this is where I go to for leadership lessons on diversity, equity, inclusion, or this is where I go to as a woman leader to get more leadership training. So we're thinking about building out executive education programs and what kind of graduate student programs can we build as an institute now that we have this great undergraduate program. And I think they'll all feed each other, right? Like once you start to develop a niche, that will filter into all the undergraduate programs and also build out executive ed program and a graduate program and things like that. So I think we can do a lot in some specific areas where we can really build a reputation and we can utilize the university's strengths that will help the institute to grow and become sort of next level. Bringing that to the next level is super important and making that a graduate program too, like that's an amazing idea to really expand it to groups on campus. Really amazing. One of the things that I think is really cool that's just starting to happen that Mm -hmm. I'm trying really hard to encourage is the student in the program, because of the interdisciplinary team projects that we do in the Institute, students have developed these really awesome ideas for how to impact the Institute, how to impact their fellow students, how to impact the university or the community. And they make these proposals at the end of the semester with their teams for these really great projects. And then what happens then, right? So recently those students have been developing those programs like after they make the proposal then they're developing these really great programs that are impacting our community and i want to encourage that and so i think one of the really cool things that we we are now doing this podcast is a result of those kind of initiative student initiatives and so what i would like to do is to encourage students to really find their passion projects and then have the institute be a platform of support for them to pursue those projects, right? So, you know, a lot of universities will say like, well, we give you the skills that you need to do what you do, what you wanna do in the workforce. But at Seton Hall, I think one of the coolest things that we do is we encourage students to really start now, right? You don't have to wait till you graduate to start what you want to do, but you can start it here as a student. And so what I'd like to do is to encourage our students to find those passions and develop them here and see if they can really impact their community in a way that is meaningful for them. And and that sort of ethos that Seton Hall has of building servant leaders, that's, you know, that's, that's what we do. And that's this is one way that we can encourage servant leaders to be who they are and to be the best leader that they can be. On the topic of leadership, if you 
were given the chance to go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice on leadership and help you develop to the self you are today, how far back would you go and what piece of advice would you give yourself? I think the thing that I would tell myself, and I'd probably start prettier, is to maintain that confidence in myself, right? Like I think that in my life, and I'm sure this is true for others and I see it in our students too, you go through waves, like when you're little, you start out really, really confident, right? About yourself, your parents tell you that you're special, yeah. you know, and you think you are, and mm-hmm. you're like, I'm the best at this. I'm the best at everything I do. Yeah. And and it's great, right? And mm-hmm. then and then somebody knocks you back, right? Like at school, somebody is better than you, or somebody tells you that that thing is weird that you do, or whatever it is, and it knocks you back. Research shows that by the time little girls are in second or third grade in the U.S., they start to think that they're not as smart as their male counterparts. Even though they do often better academically in in the classroom, there's this societal thing where we emphasize male leadership, right? We tell the boys that they're awesome and we tell the girls to be obedient. If you're too aggressive or too assertive as a girl when you're little, they tell you you're bossy. As opposed to when you're a boy, they tell you, you know, that you're you're strong and you're a good leader and things yeah. like that. So I think that there are these, you have these setbacks through mm-hmm. life where you lose that confidence and then you, you have to work back into it. And then something happens that you're really proud of and you like regain that confidence. But then you go through these waves, right? And so I, I think what I would tell myself is to keep that level of confidence up even when you get sort of shot down because I think I'm at a point now in my life where I feel confident about my accomplishments and I feel confident in my ability my capabilities in all of the facets of my life and I don't question that as much as I used to Mm -hmm. and even when I make mistakes like I know that I'm going to make them Mm -hmm. but I'm I don't get so torn down by them you know like I don't let them impact the rest of what I do the way that I used to. And I think this comes to mind specifically because I watched my students and how their confidence grows over the four years of the leadership program and, you know, watch them really build themselves up and start to blossom, right? Someone who may have been really reserved in freshman year and not spoken up in in our activities as much and then becomes the leader of an initiative by senior year and is sort of directing all of these different activities on campus and speaking publicly and going to recruitment events and telling people how awesome it is to be here. And that's just, it's so wonderful to see someone's confidence build. And everybody is unique and has their own special abilities. And so to be able to recognize that in yourself lifts your leadership level and your your ability to lead by leaps and bounds and so so confidence is definitely what I would give myself I always try to make myself feel as confident in everything I do as I was my mom like put stuff on the fridge that I was like happy about yeah like always like maintain that because I definitely agree like as you go through life that is like a big stumble maintaining that confidence that does need to be reinstilled in our society today especially post-covid too because I feel like that definitely like depleted everything so definitely on the rise and now for our final question what kind of leader do you want to be remembered as when you're done fulfilling this role as acting director? I hope that I will be seen as an approachable leader, someone who who was relatable to students and um, was someone that students felt they could come to and, and 
who was supportive of them, right? So compassionate and and enthusiastic and eager and really supportive of the whole organizations. You know, I hope that I am seen as sort of the Institute's biggest cheerleader and therefore every one of my students' biggest cheerleader. That's my hope, that students will feel that I contributed something to them in that, in exactly what you're talking about, right? Like, I want to be that mom figure who's sticking that sticker up on the, the fridge yeah. and saying, look what you did. You are awesome. <laughs> Even if it's like the ugliest painting ever. But it never is because no. we have the most awesome leaders here. Oh, so. yes, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so Dean Halpin, thank you so much for talking to us today. This has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. It was great to talk to you, and I really enjoyed answering these questions. On behalf of everyone at the Posita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU, for allowing us to use their facilities, and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership, on Instagram at Pasina Leaders, and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.